If I were to ask you this morning what your most embarrassing moment is, how many of you would have to stop and think about it, or how many of you would just have it off the top of your head? You know it just right off the top of your head? You want to share it in front of everybody? Okay, what is it? That's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Sitting in an airplane bathroom, taking care of business. That's embarrassing. Who else? Anybody else want to share their most of you want to try and top that one? Stella wants to, Stella's going to top you. I can't, I can't Nice to see you. <laughs> he ran. Who is this lady? <laughs> when I think about it, I really have to think hard. I mean, I think I have this mental block. I push these things down and repress these memories so that I don't have to deal with that. Um, and so I have to really think about it. But once I start... And really begin to think about what happened here and here. You know, I, I can start thinking of all these things that just embarrass me to no end. You know, and really, I've never met anyone who wakes up in the morning and sets a goal to be humiliated. I, I, I woke up this morning, I'm just going to do the best job I can to humiliate myself. You know, in fact, no one I know wants this to be something that happens at any time in their life. I mean, we remember these embarrassing moments and we can kind of laugh about them among friends. But a lot of times there's, there's real emotion that's evoked even thinking about it. I mean, some of my most embarrassing moments I think about today and they make me shudder. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to me. Um, but by the end of today's message, I'm going to challenge you and ask you to wake up every morning and set it a goal to be humiliated. And you're like, well, why would you do that? Why would you want that for us? And honestly, it's not because I want you to be made a fool of, but because I think that if we're going to follow Jesus Christ and walk the path that he's called us to walk, we're going to have to quit being concerned about ourselves and how people perceive us and allow ourselves to be humiliated because of the gospel. That's what, we, that's what we're going to see happen today as we jump back into Acts. Acts chapter 4 is the, the passage that we're going to read from. We're going to start in verse 1. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. But as the story has gone, we have seen, we have seen th- this work begin to happen of Holy Spirit. I mean, it is of Holy Spirit proportions. Huge, amazing things happening. People being empowered to speak in languages that they don't know. People, people being saved by the thousands. People preaching inspired messages. A, a man who was broken, who was lame, he, he was healed. 
And we all have a desire, we all have a desire, I think, as believers, to be a part of those stories, to be a part of that testimony. We want the testimony that says, look at what Jesus is doing in that guy. Look at what Jesus has done through that guy or, or that girl. We want to have those stories to tell people. But I think as we read today, you'll understand and you'll see, as I saw, that that, that, that happens, that those stories happen only when we disregard ourselves for the sake of the gospel, because of the gospel. You see, Peter and John, they stepped out and they, 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 they believed, they trusted in Jesus, and they told this man to get up and walk. But what if he hadn't? What if he hadn't? How embarrassing would that have been? How silly would they have felt? Peter stands in front of thousands of people, stands up as they're being ridiculed and mocked because everyone around him is speaking in languages that they don't know, and he calls them to Jesus. What if no one had listened? What if no one had heard or understood? How silly might he have felt? You see, they had to come to a place where they disregarded their own good or their own appearance or acceptance to people because the gospel was sending them. And we're really going to see it kind of, kind of come to full, full circle here in chapter 4. I'll pick it up in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So if you just stop and think about this, it just says, and so they were speaking, here they are. They're in the temple. They're, they're in a place where they can engage people. Maybe they're going up to, to still observe the t- daily prayers and be involved in this. But at some level, we have to see that they are engaged with people. They are not totally removed from the world. They're left in the world, and they are engaged with people. They're where God can use them. When we're huddled like this, in, 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 a, in an environment like this, that we're surrounded by predominantly Christian people, you may bless one another, you may serve one another, but you're not going to advance the gospel. You're not going to move the gospel forward. The gospel has always been meant to be moving in the world. And that's what they did. And they they involved themselves in the world. And so they're at the temple. A lame man says, hey, give me some money. They say, we don't have that, but this is what we have. Get up and walk. He gets up and walks. And in that moment, they're given that, that, that power. It builds for them a platform from which they pronounce the gospel. This amazing power pronounces the gospel or, or builds a platform so that they can pronounce the gospel. So they begin to preach. Some people were loving it. Some of the people that heard it, man, they, they, they ate it up. In fact, it tells us that the church grew by 2,000 people that day. Or at least 2,000 people. From, or at most probably around 2,000 people because it was 3,000 on Pentecost. We don't know exactly how long this was, but, but here they are in the temple, and, and now the number of people in the church is 5,000 people. So we see this huge growth again. 
So we know that some people were eating it up, but it, off, it says obviously that there were some that heard it and didn't like it. In fact, it says they were greatly annoyed. You know what that means? They were greatly annoyed. That's what it means. Ask my wife about being greatly annoyed this morning. I'm a morning person. I have no problem getting up in the morning and just being happy about life. You know, I'm just glad I'm taking another breath. <clears throat> Amy, on the other hand, wishes she was taking her breath still asleep. She just doesn't like getting up in the morning. It's not her time. In fact, before about 10 o'clock, we set the service at 1030 because before 10, she doesn't, she doesn't, want, to talk, she doesn't want to talk to anybody. I'm just kidding. I, I play. That's really not why we set the service, but it really works out good. Before about 10 o'clock, she just is not, she doesn't want to be around people. And I'm not saying anything that's not true, am I? It's the truth. But this morning, in pure Seth fashion, just loving on her the way that I do, I started pushing her buttons, you know. I just wanted her to know I was there and that I loved her. And so I got in the way when she was ironing or wanting to iron. I pushed buttons about everything, and she's like, you know what you're doing? I was like, yeah. She was greatly annoyed. But there is no doubt that I'm with her. She, I, she knows I love her, and, and, you know, I'm just do, doing what I can to show her. And... <laughs> I don't want her to mistake it. That's what they felt like. They were upset. They were mad. They were angry, you know. And, and you morning people, you, you know what it's like to deal with not morning people. And so think about that. That's how they felt. That everything about what they believed in, everything that they, they felt like and trusted in was being challenged. It's interesting to me that Luke decides to focus on the Sadducees. He talks about the temple captain or the captain of the guard and the, and the leaders of the Jews, but he specifically calls out the Sadducees. The Pharisees are spoken about in a, in a, a more, more prominent sense in Scripture, but the Sadducees, the thing about them was is that they taught. They were a sect of the Jews. They were kind of like a denomination inside of the Jews. They taught that there was no such thing as resurrection of the flesh. That there was no such thing or hope of resurrection of your body. And so as they hear Peter and John standing in amidst these people saying that Jesus Christ was killed, but God raised him from the dead, they were upset. Wait a minute, that doesn't fit with what we believe. But imagine, not only are, I think are they upset, but they're kind of shaken. Because here, this message is accompanied by a work of power. They just healed a guy. Who are we to argue with that? Everything that they were believing, everything that they were trusting in, I think was shaken. And they were bothered. Now, I'm just going to take a side note just real quick. This is totally free. I'm not going to charge you for this at all, but it's not the point of the message, but I want you to hear it. This demonstrates that just because you think it doesn't make it true. You can think all kinds of things, and they can be lies. Just because you think it, you know what? Just because you were a kid in church and were taught by some wonderful, loving Sunday school teacher, some wonderful lesson, doesn't make it true. We tell our kids lies about the Bible all the time. We teach Noah's Ark as if it was some wonderful, beautiful story. We paint it on the, bedrooms of our, uh, on the walls of our baby's bedrooms as if it's some beautiful, wonderful story. It's horrific. People were dying. I mean, imagine the wails and the screaming as the water came up. 
Just because you think it doesn't make it true. Just because you were taught it doesn't make it true. That's why it's so imperative that when we come here, that we look at Scripture, that when you're sitting in your, in, in your life and you're, and you're walking through life, that you don't just hear things and say, yeah, I believe that, but you measure it against the Word, against the truth. Because you can think all kinds of things that aren't truth. You can feel really good about a lot of lies. And that's what these Sadducees were doing. They had, been, they had just bought lock, lock, stock, and barrel. They had bought into a lie. And here these men are preaching this message of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And they were bothered. They were very bothered. And so they were so bothered that they decided, well, hey, we've got to do something about this. We can't let this happen. This is our home turf. We own this place. This is ours. And so they arrested them. Now, because they're good Jewish people, you know, it's evening, and they, they need to get home and, and do the things that they do. So they, they arrest them, and they put them in, in prison, essentially. And so John and Peter, and even the, the guy that was healed, are arrested because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, they were arrested. Now, I don't know if you've ever been put in handcuffs or been restrained or, or had something like that happen to you. I'm just going to say, from personal experience, it is a very embarrassing, humiliating moment. Because everybody's looking at you, wondering what's going on. Thinking suddenly that you are the bad guy. They don't know the story, but because you're the one that's being detained, you must have done something wrong. Humiliated for the gospel. Because of the gospel, they were arrested. Now, we don't know if they saw this happen or not. We don't know if they realized the fruit of their labor at that moment. I, I, don't, I, I don't think at, at a full level that they did. I think that Luke kind of interjects this as a historical note. And lets us know that because of their work, yes, they were arrested, they were humiliated, they were, they, they were made to be out to be the bad guys. But because of their work, the number of the church rose to 2,000 that day. And so there was a beautiful result of the work that they had done. And it goes on, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Get this. This was no small thing. It was not a small event. This was a big deal. All the who's who of the Jewish leaders came out. They, they, we've got to deal with this. We have got to do something about this. We can't let this message keep going. We've got to stop it. It says in verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? So here's this ring of people. I want you to just picture this. Hundreds, maybe, people sitting in a circle not one of them is on the side of Peter and John and this man who is healed. Picture it. How intimidated would you be? 
How intimidating would it be to be three people among hundreds who have a message to share? And here they are, the people who were educated, the people who were trained, who knew the scriptures, who taught with authority in the Jewish people's eyes, who knew the answers. And a couple of fishermen and the guy that used to be crippled. Standing there. Imagine the pressure. From the outside looking in, I can't imagine that any of us would want to be there. And they ask, by what power or name did you do this? How in the world did you make this happen? What authority are you working under? Whose name, whose authority are you using to do this amazing work? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, from the outside looking in, from from just a physical observation, it would look like they had no chance, that they were outnumbered, that there was no hope for them. And then Luke shows us, That they had all the hope in the world. See, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this is so important. This is so big. We see it happen on Pentecost. We see it happen again here. This is like this special filling or influencing of the Spirit. You know, when we were in Pentecost and studying on Pentecost, I taught about baptism and the filling of the Spirit and baptism being a once and for all all thing uh, all-time experience, the, the Spirit comes and lives in you. And then there are times where you are filled with the Spirit, you are influenced by the Spirit. We are always to be striving for that. We're always to be working towards that and, and looking to surrender our lives to the Spirit. But we see as this progresses that there are times that the Spirit moves on you, that influences you. And so Peter, he didn't stand up and speak in tongues. He stood up and preached an inspired message. As he verbalized his words, they were God's words. The things that he's about to say were said by God through him. Filled by the Spirit. So suddenly, suddenly what we see him preaching about in Acts 3 becomes a reality for these people in Acts 4. In Acts 3, he's preaching this message and he's showing the Jews that they are in opposition to the God that they say they believe in, that they trust in. And suddenly, when the Spirit fills Peter and not the Jewish leaders, who's on the side of God at that moment? Three guys against insurmountable odds, inspired by the Spirit. And Peter begins to preach. Then Peter filled what the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name 
under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter, this inspired message throws in their face that you are in opposition to God. You are the ones that have it wrong. If anyone should have known the Messiah, it should have been them. They had the prophets. They had the Old Testament. In fact, their people were used by God to write the Old Testament. They had it all. They had the law. They had the work that God had done throughout their history. They had the stories to tell about how they'd been led out of Israel or Egypt with, with power. How they had crossed a, a sea on dry ground. How they had been given the promised land. They had those stories. They had it all. They had the, they had the covenant. They had the bloodline. They had the lineage. They had it. You see, the problem was, was that when they looked for a Messiah, they looked for someone who was automatically going to be exalted. They looked for someone who was automatically going to be a king. They just wanted the king. And they totally disregarded the fact that Jesus was first going to come and be humiliated. Look at it. That's right. Preach it. In verse 10, it says, that, it, it says that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, the humiliation. Imagine what it was for Jesus, who in all rights, by all rights, was King of kings and Lord of lords already, but was despised. Imagine what it was like for him to hang on that cross at any moment. At any moment, had he decided to rebel against the Father, he could have ended it. At any moment, he could have called down angels to, to take care of the whole situation. At any moment, God the Father could have said, you know what, this is not worth it. He could have stopped it. How humiliating must it have been for him who knew no sin to become sin. And you did this. You crucified him, Peter says. But God, he raised him. And you, you, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that you guys looked at, the one that, 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 that was observed and seen and, the, and, and was made evident to you, you looked at it and you threw it out. But he's been made the cornerstone and when you think of this in terms of a building, the cornerstone is one of the most absolutely important pieces of the whole building. You can't build a building without first laying the first stone. It can't be done. That's who Jesus was made to be. The most important piece of all the puzzle. He was humiliated. And then he was exalted. And maybe like those Jews, maybe similarly to those Jews, we prefer to think about him being exalted because we don't want to follow in humiliation. You see, this is a, this is a principle that's taught all through Scripture about Jesus. All through Scripture, it teaches about his humiliation and his, and, and his exaltation. 
Philippians 2, 6-11, who, though he was in the form of God, speaking about Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. You know where the word humbled fits and matches up to? Humiliation, humbled. They go together. He humbled himself to the point of death, by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Humiliation. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Humiliation, exaltation. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 13.4 For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Humiliation, exaltation. 1 Peter 1.11 Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. Humiliation and the subsequent glories. Exaltation. That is the message that Jesus came with. That, that, that was what he came to experience because of the gospel. He knew what he was coming for. He knew what he was doing. And he came because of the gospel and allowed himself to be humiliated. Allowed himself to be humbled. He didn't consider himself first. Now let's step back out and think about the whole context of this passage. You see, as, as, as Peter's preaching, he's preaching about how Jesus was humiliated and exalted. And you know what Peter's experiencing in that moment? Humiliation. Because of the gospel. He was arrested because of the gospel. He's standing trial because of the gospel. He is set at odds with what is known to be right in that world because of the gospel. He is seen by these people to be foolish and uneducated and ordinary because of the gospel. But it didn't stay that way. In verse 13 it says this, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Man, I love this. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Because on the outside, these people, these, these leaders, the, the high priest and his family, the scribes, they looked at these men and they were like, who in the world are you? How can you know what you're talking about? You're a fisherman for crying out loud. Who are you to tell us? But seeing, oh, I'm sorry, the end of verse 13, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, we put our hopes and our, our, our dreams in credentials and education. And I'm not against those things, especially, especially, you know, I don't want my brain surgeon to have gone to school at Ozark High School and that's as far as he goes. 
I mean, I graduated from Ozark, so I can say that. But that's as far as he goes, you know. I don't want to, to lay down and have surgery and, and this guy tell me, hey, I got my, my surgeon's license out of the Cracker Jack box. I don't want that. I, I don't want, the, you know, the guy that is going to defend me in some trial, I don't want him to have studied on his own. And there's a lot of circumstances that I understand. I, I've got no problem with people needing to be educated and taught. And as it comes to religion, I've got no problem with credentials. But every person in the world can earn a credential if they want it bad enough. The difference between these men and these trained people was not a credential. These men had spent time with Jesus. And I'm going to stand before you as a guy who is working in seminary, studying, and always trying to be educated and taught. And I'm going to tell you that if I do ever earn that credential and, and, and get that piece of paper, don't follow me for that. You look at my life and you examine it. And you look to see if it's evident that I'm following Jesus Christ. And when it is, then you get up and you walk with me. And when I say you follow me, I mean you follow me. Because I won't be telling you that by my own authority or by my own ideas or my own wisdom. But only because I've spent time with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with credentials. But a credential in the area of salvation and gospel and leadership in the church means jack if you ain't got Jesus. See, these men, they looked at Peter and they looked at John and they're like, who in the world could this be? They're they're ordinary, uneducated men. But they noticed they'd been with Jesus. You see, they were humiliated because of the gospel. They were thought less of because of the gospel. They were set at odds with the world because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, it suddenly became them against the rest. And I I say that carefully because I don't want this to be a message about us against the world. That's not what that's about. It's not about us living this life and just ignoring the world or, or not trying. But as the world looked at them, that was their perspective. You don't fit with us anymore. You're not like us anymore. We don't appreciate the things you're saying anymore. But I believe from Peter and John's perspective, they recognize it to be about them for the world. You see, because they were willing to be arrested because of the gospel. They were willing to be tried because of the gospel. They were willing to be humiliated because of the gospel. Because they knew, they knew, That they had the truth. They knew that in heaven and earth there was no other name by which we could be saved. But by the name of Jesus. And so that he could be exalted. They allowed themselves to be humiliated. So. I want you. To follow this example. And when you go out these doors. 
allow yourself to be humiliated because of the gospel. Allow yourself to be tried and examined and, and on trial by the world because of the gospel. I want you to quit looking at yourself and striving for the acceptance of people because of the gospel. Christ has accepted you. You don't owe any explanation. You don't have to measure up. Because of the gospel, He has accepted you. You don't have to worry about being humiliated because you want to be adored and loved by people. Because of the gospel, you can know that you have been loved by God. You no longer have to place all the wants and desires and measure up to meet the expectations of people. Because of the gospel, you have a hope that so many other people long for. You have an answer for life that gives you purpose and meaning. That sets everything else in order. God made you. He created you for His glory and that you might enjoy Him. And because of the gospel, you can live in that purpose with full abandon. Because of the gospel, humiliation of ourselves for this purpose actually makes sense. You see, it's our problem. Our problem with humiliation, our problem with the idea of being humiliated is because we are so tied to our selfish perspectives. We want to exalt ourselves. We want ourselves to be the ones that are looked at and adored and honored. We want to be the center of attention. Even for you shy people, you want to be noticed. But because of the gospel, all the noticing you need, all the attention you could imagine is bound up in Jesus Christ. And because of the gospel, our own ideas of self-worship and adoration, worshiping the created rather than the creator, is set right because of the gospel. So when you go to the restaurants today, or you go to talk to your neighbors, or you go to work tomorrow, or, or to, to, to your whatever it is you do, if you're involved in some social activity, coaching baseball, coaching, playing softball, whatever it might be, allow yourself to be humiliated because of the gospel. This too is a principle that can be found over and over in Scripture. Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> says. In verse 38 and 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me. Is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You hear the humiliation and the exaltation being promised? Whoever loses his life will find it. 
You see, when you live first and foremost for the gospel, you will not be let down. He will come through. He is big enough to do that. He is powerful enough to do that. He cares enough about his people to do that. Because of the gospel, we don't only have to deal with humiliation. We have the hope of exaltation. We have the hope of glorification. We have the hope that one day this sinful body will be laid to rest and will be given perfection, a perfect body, to stand in front of our Creator with and look at Jesus' hands and maybe touch them and walk with Him. We have that hope because of the gospel. And you can find your life here all you want. But Jesus promises you find it here and you'll lose it. You find it in Him and you'll win it. Again, Philippians, a beautiful chapter, Philippians 2. Paul teaching just before he talks about the, the, the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. He calls the church in Philippi, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do all things. No, I'm saying it wrong. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Do, all, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Don't count yourself first. Humble yourself. Quit putting yourself out in the front. Only Jesus belongs there. And because of the gospel, it fits and works. 1 Corinthians 9.23 I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul has just talked about how he goes and he speaks to people in, in, in ways that they understand. For the rich, I, I, I make myself rich. For the poor, I make myself poor. For the Jew, I, I become a Jew. For the Gentile, I become a Gentile. And you know, we... we, we we go to that passage and we're like, oh, well, man, we can just, we can go and be whoever we want to be. But no, he's talking about a sacrificing of himself for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Because Paul understands that this is the call of every believer. Be humiliated for the gospel that you may also be exalted in it. Think about it. Even in coming to Christ, you have to deal with your humiliation. You are sinners, absolutely filthy, before a holy and righteous and pure and perfect God. Even on your best day, with your best work, it's filthy rags. I'm not going to tell you what that really means. Maybe you've heard it. It's disgusting. You and I wouldn't lay our hands on it. But yet our God in His mercy, as you recognize that, 
As you come to that understanding, he wraps you up in his righteousness and he calls you clean. And he says you are made righteous. Even in coming to him. And the path is no different. Last week we talked about this in the perspective of how the church began and the way it went into Jerusalem. The way to Jerusalem is no different than the way to Springfield. You and I are going to have to quit caring what people think for our own sake and allow ourselves to be humiliated for the sake of the gospel. We are going to have to give up our ties to image and, 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 and success and, and status and power. And we're going to have to live for the sake of the gospel. What if they don't like me? What if they don't accept me? What if they don't adore me and love me the way I want to be? Because of the gospel you have been. And that's the gospel they need to hear. And until Christians get off of their high horse and out of their high places and live in the world and tell people truth with grace, they won't be able to hear the message. The way to Springfield is exactly as it was the way to Jerusalem. So go be humiliated because of the gospel. Every day be humiliated because of the gospel. Let's pray. As you're sitting there and thinking... At the end of this passage, Paul, or Peter, I'm sorry. Peter and John are released. They go back to to their friends, to the church. They are released, and and, uh, the church begins to pray. And I just want you to hear this before we pray. When they had released and went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Hear their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, we know that while it may seem friendly 
And it seems like there's an awful lot of good people in Springfield. Everybody I meet seems to tell me, oh, I I go to church. We know that there is a religious, a, a, a people sold to religion here. Father, we know that there are people that are lost in darkness here. As I think about it, Father, I I, I can't help but imagine that this is much the way it seemed as these disciples stood in front of the religious people and looked for your help, expected and trusted in your help. So I pray that for us, as we recognize that there are people against you, standing in opposition to you, that you will fill us. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with your influence and your power that we may speak boldly your words, that Jesus might be exalted, that your power might be seen and that people's lives would be changed forever and that they would be saved and that they would be adopted into the family. Because, Father, we know, too, that you have many servants here, not just gathering in this school building, but in churches all across Springfield this morning, you have people that are yours. And while the odds might be insurmountable, we recognize that your power Puts it all in perspective. May we be a people who are not sold to making ourselves look pretty and acceptable to man. But we recognize that we'd rather offend them than you. We love you. We thank you for the the, the work that you've done in us. We thank you for the wrecks that you fixed in our life. May we honor you in front of a world that needs to see you honored. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.